<laughs> okay. Well, it's really interesting that uh, tonight's topic, that uh, the Truth Project, he's talking about relationships. Uh, for me personally, growing up, uh, tasks were more important than relationships. And it wasn't until Christ came into my heart that he changed that, that relationships are important. I mean, tasks are important too. We've got to do that. We need to be responsible. But uh, what I want to talk about today, I'm going to be referring to this book, The Peacemaker. Uh, and when I think of Peacemaker, the first thought I thought of was a gun, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> a couple of months ago, Owen Carey had recommended me this book titled The Peacemaker. I thought at first this could be good because on my job, I often deal with unhappy people. And I could always use some godly direction in dealing with conflict. So today I want to talk about conflict. Um, Job 14.1 says, Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Trouble is what we all face every day. Some of us, it seems like we face more trouble than the next guy. But the reality is we all have our fair share of trouble. And what I want to talk about is dealing with conflict in a godly response. And this is what I believe glorifies God. This morning, my intent is to touch on three basic ways people respond to conflict. And at the close of the message, I want to remind us all that our focus on God is the key to resolving all conflicts constructively. When we remember his mercy and draw on his strength, we will invariably see things more clearly and be able to respond to conflict more wisely and ultimately, and here's the kicker, we will be able to demonstrate through our personal lives that there is a God, and he delights in helping us in doing things that we could never do in our own strength. For me to be here this morning and talk about this, I'm a walking act of God. I mean, he has changed me from a depressed, grumpy, foul-mouthed kid. He's changed my heart. And what I want to talk about, I want to first refer to this book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy. I'm not elevating it by any means. In fact, it was written by a lawyer. Uh, and uh, you think, wow, a lawyer wrote this? Yeah, because he has to deal with a lot of these things. And I think, well, I've gone through conflict resolution classes because at my work, I deal with unhappy people. But uh, in this book, I would highly recommend it. I'm not selling it or anything. But I would say it's a good 
reference in dealing with conflict. Okay, so Mr. Sandy here addresses the three basic ways people respond to conflict. And they are, number one, escape. Number two, attack. And three, peacemaking. You think, wow, three? Hmm. On the left, we have people who want to escape. On the right, we have people who want to attack. You know, some people say left, right, left, right. Ooh, Mido's right. Left port. When I think of in the Navy, how could I remember the difference between port and starboard? Well, I left port and I starboard right. Red for the right, green, green for go, to the left. You think, well, what are these things about? Okay, he gives this illustration. It's kind of like uh, looking at a protractor. On the left-hand side, you've got the escape folks. And on the right-hand side, you have the attack folks. And in the center, he has the peacemaking. Okay. So he illustrates it by saying it's like a hill. uh, And in the center, we find the peacemaking response. If you can imagine that, this hill was covered with ice. And I don't have too far to think about the ice storm of Tulsa. You know, the 100-year storm where we had two inches of ice on the ground. Well, he uses that to kind of give us this picture that Um, being in the center of this hill and on ice, you can kind of go one way or the other. He says here that uh, if you lose your footing in the same conflict, you will either become defensive or you'll become antagonistic. When I do this, I'm thinking of when people want to do something right up in your face. It antagonizes you, doesn't it? You ever had anyone do this to you? Oh, okay. All right. So, Sandy points out, in order to stay on top of it, we need to first ask God to help us to resist the natural inclination to escape or attack whenever we face this conflict. And the second thing he points out is we need to ask him to help us develop the ability to live out the gospel by using the peacemaking response. You know, before I became a Christian, my mode was kind of the attack. I would verbally use expletives and off-colored remarks to aid and antagonize the conflict. And one of the first things God dealt with me, being in the Navy, was I needed to not use that. I needed to restrain. That's not to say the vocabulary is not up there, folks. It's there. But when Christ came into my heart, he changed my heart in such a way as I don't have to use those expletives every day with every situation, whether there's a conflict or not. And I want to encourage those of you who may struggle with some of those to look back and say, God, I need help in that. And he will. He helped me. Because I was one foul-mouthed kid. Okay, let's talk about the left side of the slippery slope. All right? 
he describes it as the escape response. And he points out that people tend to use these escape responses when they are more interested in avoiding the conflict rather than resolve it. You know, like, I'm going to run away from my problems. Or one of the things I get to deal with in my work is when I have to talk to some mother about her wayward son, my son's not like that. You must have someone else in mind. Surely he doesn't act that way. Well, he does. Okay. So, um, denial is to pretend that a conflict or a problem doesn't exist. Uh, How many people, I probably shouldn't ask for a show of hands, have run into people like that, where they deny that? Oh, I see an honest person back there. Well, the second one is flight, and that is to run away from a conflict only postpones a proper solution to a problem. Okay, when I think of that, years ago, Beth and I went to a marriage encounter in Oklahoma City, and what it is is for young couples to learn how to deal with one another, and I'll never forget of this one couple in our small group was sharing how um, they had great difficulty in resolving a conflict. In fact, the wife would go into the bathroom and stay in the bathroom for many hours. That was her way of dealing with the conflict. Not a good way to do it, especially if you only have one bathroom. (laughs) Okay. And then he points out the third extreme of the escape response is suicide. It's when people lose all hope of resolving a conflict, they take their own lives. Now, let's talk about the right side. You know, might is right. The natural response on the right side of the slope is the attack response. This is where people are more interested in winning the conflict more than preserving a relationship. Well, it sounds like a jock if I've ever heard. You know, you want to win at all costs. Well, I don't want pigeonhole jocks. Okay, but when I think about when I think about this, as I started off this morning saying that tasks were more important than relationships, I really believe that that's what God is wanting to say to all of us, whether it's in our family, whether it's at work, our relationships with people are important. They're not a game. They're not a conquest. And yet, um, these people with this attitude uh, view conflict as a contest or a chance to assert their rights or to control others or to take advantage of the situation and bringing much pressure to bear on their opponents so much as to eliminate them. Well, you can see that in a football game, right? Doesn't have to be football. It can be in the workplace. All of us have had some sort of experience in that response. All right, he talks about here assault is when people try to overcome an opponent by using various forms of force or intimidation. 
or from a school point of view, bullying, it's the same thing, and the other tactics such as gossip or slander or like I work with a bunch of women and the uh, expression is meow, you know, the, the cats as they make their little sly, slippery, uh, slanderous remarks of one another, you know, that's an assault. Maybe these ladies aren't using their fists, but with their words, they're chewing people apart. That's an assault. The next one is litigation. By forcing people to bend their will by using lawsuits or some lawyer, the extreme of this attack, the last of the three here, is murder. Well, that's pretty stated. That's simply killing your opponent. When I go to David L. Moss, and I am working with uh, an individual there, when I meet a murderer, he doesn't seem any odd or unnormal to me. He seems like a regular person. But the problem was, when he committed murder, he came to a decision. It didn't just happen. It was a series of things that took place that caused him to do that. And not just for men. Women do the same. I've also had some women who took the GED and, and they were in there because they murdered their husband. You know, it, uh, murder is a serious thing. And what I want to point out is the extreme of the far left, you know, we talk about escape. The far left is suicide. We come over to the right-hand side. The far right is downright murder. The two most common ways people move in the attack mode is this. It may be their first response. You know, some people are more anger prone, more people are ready to kick some tail. Um, whereas others, the escapist, is when they're backed in a corner. And I, I can think all of us in here, when we're backed in the corner, maybe we're not the aggressive type to go and assault someone. But when you're pushed in a corner, you're going to come out swinging. And those are the two most common ways people move in the attack mode. Now, let me give a short list on reasons of conflict. Well, the first one is conflict with others can be the result of lack of communication. Oh, I forgot to give that bit of information. You know, in the workplace, if you don't have the full picture and you only get part of it, and when it comes to you to give the presentation and you're looking at this and you're going, I don't have the full picture, there's a conflict here. The second thing is conflict can be the result from our difference in values, goals, calling, priorities, expectations, interests, or opinions. One of the things my father always told me when I was growing up was this. Okay? Two things that get people riled up the most is politics and religion. So you better know what you stand on and know what it is that you 
think is right. Now, politics and religion, oh, I'm sorry I said from the pulpit. Well, we're human. We have strong opinions about things. And uh, there's nothing wrong with a strong opinion. The problem with a strong opinion sometimes alienates or puts people off. It's like uh, when I first became a Christian, um, there were some Christians who were rather obnoxious, inconsiderate, (laughs) rude, in your face. That was a turnoff for me. The people who led me to the Lord was, number one, they accepted me who I was, foul mouth and all. They shared with me in a gentle way that Christ died for my sins. They didn't try to beat my head over the Bible or slide a a track between my teeth. (laughs) They simply had a relationship with me. They treated me like a person. And this whole issue about conflict is that, is treating people with respect. The third one, in the workplace, we can readily see conflict in competition over limited resources, time, and money. I know when I first came back from living in China and and dealing with the Chinese, one of the things that kind of threw me off was um, how some people can undercut you. I had a teacher who uh, I was working with, and uh, she was stealing my students into her class. And I thought, you know, I was kind of blissfully naive at first. I thought, why is she doing that? Well, she wanted to keep her job. I got another job. But it it really kind of hit me wrong, like, but it's a natural response. We all have sinned, every one of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And when competition for whose skin is going to be saved, all of us face that. Especially in this uh, season in our history where Jobs are getting scarce. We're going to be running into this conflict of competition. And last but not least is our own sinful attitudes and habits. And I'd like for us to turn to James 4, if you would. I only have a couple that I want to really have you look at. because There's just something about when you read it and you hear it, It gets you to think about James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
And it goes on and describes some more things about our walk. But I wanted to lift this passage up just to remind us all that when we're ticked off at people, when people punch our buttons, why? Why are they punching your buttons? Because there's some crud in you that needs to be addressed. And conflict is not a bad thing. Being married for 32 years. You know, if I were to say with a straight face, I've never had an argument with my wife, I would be a bona fide liar. She would be too. In fact, I'm grateful to God for my wife. She's put up with some of my shenanigans and my uh, honoredness. But I want to focus on this. And what's the root of our, our fights? It's because we have some crud in there that's not right. And when we have these conflicts, they destroy. Conflicts, if not resolved, destroys lifelong, not just a short time, lifelong relationships between family and friends. And it, here's the thing, too. Because you have this garbage thought about this individual, whether it's your friend or whether it's your family member or your outlaw or your in-law, it doesn't just affect your immediate circle. You know, here in America, we think of being an individual and by golly, it's his problem or it's her problem, it's not mine. No. Whatever affects your circle, it's like a ripple effect. It affects other relationships that you have with other people. And that's why I want to focus on the fact that conflicts need to be resolved. They don't need to be stewing in the um, sewer. The most important response of conflict that I want to talk about, we've talked about the escape mode, we've talked about the attack. Now I want to shift our attention here to the peacemaking response. These responses are commanded by God, empowered by the gospel, and directed toward finding just and mutual agreeable solutions in the clock. In our words, making things right. That's what conflict is. It's making things right. And uh, he has six ways, but I'm going to just focus today for the first three that he calls the personal peacemaking because it's what he means. They're carried out personally and privately. Just between you and the other person. The first thing is, he says, we need to overlook an offense. It's a form of forgiveness, and it involves a deliberate decision not to talk about it, not to dwell on it, or let it grow up into pent-up bitterness and anger. And you guessed it, if it keeps going, murder. Because you're going to kill that person, maybe not with a gun or a knife, but you can kill people with words. 
overlooking an offense. I think of uh, years ago, there was a cartoon series, <clears throat> Hager the Horrible, and uh, he was talking about grudges and bitterness, and, and I'll never forget, he had this little baby and saying, nursing a grudge. And I think, yeah, I've nursed a grudge. Or the other expression, grind the axe. I've done it, and I'm sure not one of you in here can say, oh, I never did that. We have. We have. But the first approach is to overlook it. Proverbs 19.11 says, tells us, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. In Proverbs 12.16, this is great. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. I get practice with that, oh, at least once or twice a week. Uh, someone flipping me off or saying some other response. And the Bible is true. The fool shows his anointance. A lot of fools out there. They get annoyed. You can listen to them on the radio. You can see them on TV. And you can see them in person. Okay. Here's the key verse. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Boy, that, to me, that is... You know, if I'm asking God to forgive me for my offenses, I need to forgive the person that punches my buttons, that annoys the snot out of me. I need to forgive them. The next one is reconciliation. If you've overlooked the offense and the, the relationship is already damaged, too serious, then it's time for you to talk. What do you mean, talk? Well, you can, uh, you can gunny sack offenses, you can throw hand grenades at things that people say. But let's look at what Matthew 18 tells us to do. The title of it, Jesus Teaches How to Treat a Believer Who Sins. Beginning in verse 15 of Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. That's not the time when you grab your buddy or your friend and say, hey, you need to listen in on this. No, the first time says that you go and you talk to that individual first. What screws up things is when you bring other people along and they get offended or they take on the offense and then it gets, as Jim Burnell would say, Messy business. 
when you're dealing with conflict, sometimes it's pretty messy. So the first thing we need to do is we need to go to them first. Now, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But now, here's phase two. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, so you move past step one, you go into step two, you have someone with you. Now, you're not ganging up on this person, you're just doing what the scripture says. That's phase two, not phase one. Okay, now, third thing, if he refuses to listen to him, then tell to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Well, these are the very words of the Lord. He's saying, how do we deal with conflict? Number one, we go to that person. We try to be reconciled. And number two, if they, don't, if they just blow you off or they diss you or whatever term you want to use, then is when you get someone else to come with you. And the third thing, if it's really a serious offense, then it needs to come to the church. Now, I'm not asking people to be calling Jim or Bill tomorrow morning and say, I've got this offense. I'm not saying that. What I really want to focus on is that individually, we have a responsibility to God and to that brother or sister that's offended us. We need to go to them. And Galatians 6.1 tells us how to do it. It tells us that we need to come with the spirit of gentleness. I like when I remembered in King James, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, lest also you're tempted. When I think of that, I think of early in my marriage, my wonderful wife, where I would find something that just annoyed me. And I wasn't too gentle. Well, you know what happened? I did the same thing. What? Well, that's what the scripture said. You know, if you don't, when you're going to correct or address an issue of conflict with someone, you do it with a spirit of gentleness. Because inevitably, you're going to do the same thing. Trust me, you can ask my wife. Okay. Now, the third and last one of the peacemaker that I want to focus on today is negotiation. And he states here that even if you've addressed the relational issue, and that's resolved, you may need to work through material issues related to money, property, and other rights. And this is done through a cooperative bargaining process in which both parties involved reach the settlement that satisfies the legitimate needs of each side. In reading this book, he gives a really good example of a situation that he was a part of. There was a a young man who uh, stayed with his mom, cared for his mom. His mother passed away. Well, uh, the other brothers and sisters and siblings there said, hey, let's sell the estate and, you know, 
that be it. And the younger brother who stayed with his mother, his ailing mother, all the way to her death, you know, that meant he was going to be out on the streets. He didn't have a place. And he talks about it was through the negotiation of working out a deal that this man would be able to stay in the house and that when he passes, the estate then would be um, sold and that would provide for this young man a place to stay. Um, I also want to point out that young man had uh, some health issues. And so it was the just and kind thing to do. Now, whatever that situation, you know, um, as we get older and we deal with the estates of our parents, you know, I personally had to deal with it with my sister because I'd heard all the horror stories of people not negotiating, walking into the house, walking off at everything, and, oh, things hit the fan really bad. So negotiation is a very important thing of being cooperative and reaching a settlement that satisfies the legitimate needs of each side. And he points out in Philippians 2.4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I know that's one of the things that, one of the verses that really helped me as I was closing my parents' estate, that... uh, I did not want there to be anything said that, um, that I defrauded my sister or my kids. And that was, a, that was a tough thing. But this verse was really helpful for me to remind me that I need to look out not only for my own interests, especially when you're dealing with negotiating of property and, and monies, but um, to look out for the interests of others. Now, The other three that he talks about in this book, I'm not going to elaborate because of the time, and that is mediation, arbitration, and accountability. But to bring kind of a closing, I want to share a personal experience about God's grace in conflict and reaching a resolution that I will never forget. I will never forget. This happened to me in April 1995, I was in charge of organizing a GED graduation ceremony. We had 75 graduates and about 300 visitors. Things were coming together, and it was Friday night, and wow, this is great, until I got home. When I got home, I opened up the mailbox, and there was a note saying I had a certified letter. I thought, oh, this is Friday. I better go. So I drove over to the post office, get the certified letter, open it up, And it says this, your employment with Tulsa Public Schools is terminated June 30th, 1995. Sign. The person who signed it was my guest speaker. This was like an hour and a half before the ceremony. My first response was not a very godly response. (laughs) I'm ashamed to say, but I was really mad. I was stunned. I felt betrayed. I felt really bad. And I thought about, well, I'll go, go up and talk to him. 
And I thought, no, it's not worth going to jail over that. <laughs> so then I, I'm seriously, I thought through these things. This is 1995. It, there's some years away, and the man is away. And, but I had to wrestle with these emotions of anger. You're being terminated. And the man that I have to introduce and smile and everything is right in front of me. I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll show him. I just won't show up. I just thought, let them figure it out. Bad call. See, I'm responsible. I set up the refreshments. I set up all the volunteers, and oh yeah, I was the MC. So I was the package. I got down on my knees, and I prayed. And as I prayed, and I prayed with understanding, and I prayed in tongues, I was just beside myself. Beth was at ET, the kids were gone. I was in that house by myself. So I just cried out to God, I don't want to do this. You know, this isn't right. An hour before the ceremony, and I get this notice that I'm terminated, why am I doing this? As I prayed, the Lord brought to mind the very people I'm serving, the graduates. There were 75 of them. And there were some of them that I, I knew their history and I knew the frustration and, and the struggle they had in finally getting to the place where they took the test and passed it. And this was their time to shine with dignity before their family. And here my self-pity and my stupid thinking that, well, let them solve it. It wasn't the answer. That's not going to solve the conflict. The conflict is, I need to serve these people. I need to set aside my anger, and I need to finish my job. And as I thought about that, the Lord reminded me that I wasn't alone. He's here. He wasn't asleep. He's going to give me grace to do it, and I did it. I went there. It came off really well. I was able to look at the man face-to-face in the cheering crowd because, I mean, it was an exciting event. These guys are graduating. They're second chance to shine before their loved ones. Hallett had the privilege of being one of my guest speakers Hallett's not the person, by the way. (laughs) Someone bigger than us, yeah. Anyhow, it came off really well, and and the ceremony ended, and everything was just great, and people loved it. and, And I'm driving home, and God's not finished with me. He wanted me to go talk to the man. I thought, I thought I went through it once. Well, back to the woodshed. Come to the place. Okay, I'm going to go talk to the man. God, I need your mercy and grace. Because 
in my own self, I'd say, mm. So I went, and I talked with the man, got resolved, got my job back. God used that experience to show me that his grace is sufficient. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us the very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. In essence, that verse says to me, I'm going to give you the tools you need to resolve the conflict that you have if you come to him. He's not going to hand it on on a silver platter. You have to come to the Lord. You have to make a place that you're desperate, that you want to resolve the conflict. We have great and precious promise from God. And as believers, we don't need to dwell on either go to the left, escape, or to the right, attack. But we need to come to God. Lord, I need help. I need help. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books, and there's a passage I want to share with you. Chapter 2, verse 16 through 18 says, Do not be overly righteous, neither be otherwise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Here's the key. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes whether going to the left to run away from your problem, your conflict, or going to the right and wanting to destroy that person. If you fear God, he'll keep you on course. So in closing, the Lord is asking each of us, not just a few of us, each and every one of us to be peacemakers. We can't do it in our own willpower to resolve that problem offense in the first place. It's only through God's supernatural grace and power that we can resolve conflicts more wisely and ultimately we will demonstrate through our personal lives that there is a God and he delights in helping us to do things we could never do in our own strength. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that today there may be some among us who have some unresolved conflict with maybe a brother or sister here in this congregation, maybe across town, maybe across the country. My prayer is, Father, that your Holy Spirit would woo them. Just like you did for me with that situation 
You brought me to the place that I need to resolve this conflict. I pray, Father, that each of us today, as the Holy Spirit brings to mind, we wouldn't just shrug it off, put it aside, put it on the back burner. No, Lord, I ask that today, if there are some that need to make that phone call or go to that person, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be faithful to address that. And ultimately, Lord, you would be glorified because you are God and you are able to give us supernatural strength, supernatural wisdom in resolving conflicts that only can be resolved. Father, I thank you for each person here today and Lord, for the work that you've done and you're still doing in my heart. I pray, Father, that Christ would be demonstrated through each person, that the love of Christ would be real and not plastic. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.